Would you mind bowing your heads with me for a brief word of prayer before we begin? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning and for your many blessings. And Lord, I pray that you would please send your Holy Spirit to be with us this morning. Lord, speak through me. Use me to share a message from you. And Lord, may each of our hearts be open to receive it, including mine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Bill was a rich kid. As far as we know, his father made his fortune honestly, mining silver in the Colorado Hills. When he was seven, his mother became an evangelical Christian, and he began to read the Bible and pray. From that point on, prayer and Bible study became his theme. He went on to the best high school in Chicago, and as a graduation gift, his parents gave him a chaperone trip around the world. The year was 1904. Back then, just barely in his senior year of high school, Orville and Wilbur Wright made the first flight at Kitty Hawk. You couldn't just jump on an American Airlines flight and hop over to Europe or India or Asia or Australia. So this trip around the world was a real adventure. It meant sailing for weeks on boats across the oceans. It meant traveling through land that not many white people had ever been to before. On this his chaperone on this trip was a missionary and a minister. They visited Asia, the Middle East, and Europe. He saw hungry children in many regions where not a single individual knew of Christ. These unreached people groups stayed with him during his journey as he felt compelled to share the gospel that had come to mean so much to him. In London, he recommitted his life to Christ and not... And, and committed to becoming a foreign missionary. From that moment on, he knew what he was going to become. Not a wealthy businessman like his father, no. He was going to become a missionary. When he wrote home that he wished to be a missionary, not everyone was so supportive. Missionaries died more frequently in the field back then. Not only did missionaries have to brave the wild, primitive, and backwards natives, but it was isolating work with letters and money taking months to travel back and forth. But even worse were the diseases. Malaria, cholera, tuberculosis, pneumonia, dysentery, worms, gangrene, and polio were among just a few of the health challenges a missionary might and probably would face. One of his friends told him flat out that he was throwing himself away as a missionary. With his inherited wealth, it was thought he could do much work for the Lord in a civilized place, just as much as overseas. In response to this, he is said to have written in the flyleaf of his Bible these words, no reserve, with the date. Bill committed himself fully to seeking God's purpose for his life. 
What does it mean to live a life with no reserves? What happens when you commit yourself fully to seeking God's will? He who loves Christ the most will do the greatest amount of good. There is no limit to the usefulness of one who, putting, by putting self aside, makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit upon the heart and lives a life wholly consecrated to God. Desire of Ages, page 250. There is no limit to the usefulness of one. No reserves means no limits. In the book Education, we read, higher than the highest human thought can reach is God's ideal for his children. Godliness, God-likeness is the goal to be reached. Before the student, there is opened a path of continual progress. He has an object to achieve, a standard to attain that includes everything good and pure and noble. He will advance as fast and as far as possible in every branch of true knowledge, but his efforts will be directed to objects as much higher than mere selfish and temporal interests as the heavens are higher than the earth. On page 478 of the book Acts of the Apostles, we read, in his efforts to reach God's ideal for him, the Christian is to despair of nothing. Moral and spiritual perfection through the grace and power of Christ is promised to all. Jesus is the source of power, the fountain of life. He brings us to his word and from the tree of life presents to us the, the presents to us leaves for the healing of sin-sick souls. He leads us to the throne of God. In our behalf, he sets in operation the all-powerful agencies of heaven. At every step, we touch his living power. No limits. But honestly, we should have known that anyways. Because Jesus said it himself in Matthew. If you turn with me in your Bibles, and this is a Bible study. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And everyone that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil... Know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. In James chapter 1, we read, Every good gift... Every good and perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good gift comes from him. 
When we commit our lives to him with no reserves, there is no limit to how he can use our lives in his service. And there is no limit to the resources he's willing to put into motion for our salvation. No limit. We sell ourselves short so often in life. We don't trust. We don't believe. We don't really rely on Christ at every step of our way. I think it's time we trust him with no reserve. Bill, whose full name was William Borden, attended Yale that fall and quickly stood out as a hardworking student and a natural leader. He was sociable, athletic, and fun-loving. He was elected president of the Phi Beta Kappa Honor Society and even became the master of his own sailing yacht. But more importantly than all this, he loved Jesus. He could have gone as a missionary right then, but he felt an education would be important to the work of the gospel. Yet, as the saying goes, you're either a missionary or a mission field. And Bill, well, he had the heart of a true missionary. One of Bill's classmates wrote, he came to college far ahead spiritually of any of us. He had already given his heart in full surrender to Christ and had really done it. We who were his classmates learned to lean on him and find in him a strength that was solid as a rock just because of his settled purpose and consecration. During his college years, Bill Borden made an entry in his personal journal that defined what his classmates were seeing in him. That entry said simply, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. During a university consecration at Yale, the president spoke about the student's need of having a fixed purpose. After that speech, Borden wrote, he neglected to say what that purpose should be and where we should get the ability to persevere and the strength to resist temptations. Surveying the Yale faculty and much of the student body, Borden lamented what he saw as the end result of an empty humanistic philosophy, moral weakness, and sin-ruined lives. During his first semester at Yale, Borden started something that would transform campus life. One of his friends described how it began. It was well on in his first term when Bill and I began to pray together in the morning before breakfast. I cannot say positively whose suggestion it was, but I feel sure it must have originated with Bill. We have been meeting only a short time when a third student joined us and soon after a fourth. The time was spent in prayer after a brief reading of scripture. Bill's handling of scripture was helpful. He would read to us from the Bible, show us something that God had promised, and then proceed to claim the promise with assurance. Borden's small morning prayer group gave birth to a movement that soon spread across the campus. By the end of his first year, 150 freshmen were meeting weekly for Bible study and prayer. By the time Bill Borden was a senior, 1,000 of Yale's 1,300 students were meeting in such groups. Borden made it his habit to seek out the most incorrigible students and try to bring them to salvation. In his sophomore year, we organized Bible study groups and divided up the class of 300 or more, each man taking a certain number, and so that all might, if possible, be reached. Each man, the names were gone over one by one, and the question asked, 
Who will take this person? When it came to someone thought to be a hard proposition, there would be an ominous pause. Nobody wanted the responsibility. Then Bill's voice would be heard. Put him down to me. Borden's outreach ministry was not confined to the Yale campus, however. Once he, he cared about widows and orphans and the disabled. He rescued drunks from the streets of New Haven, which was a slum area of town in Chicago, to try to rehabilitate them. He founded the Yale Hope Mission with his own money. Wait, where's Yale? Yeah, it's not in Illinois. Anyways, yeah, I know that. So New Haven's near Yale, and it's, it, was, it had a very well-known slum at the time. One of Bill Borden's friends wrote that he might often be found in the lower parts of the city at night, on the street, in a cheap lodging house or some restaurant to which he had taken a poor hungry fellow to feed him, seeking to lead men to Christ. Borden's missionary call narrowed to the Muslim Kansu people in China. Once he fixed his eyes on that goal, Borden never wavered. He also challenged his classmates to consider missionary service. One of them said to, of him, he certainly was one of the strongest characters I have ever known, and he put backbone into the rest of us at college. There was real iron in him, and I always felt he was of the stuff martyrs were made of, and and heroic missionaries of more modern times. Borden noted that at one voluntary meeting held in Dwight Hall in 1906, perhaps 500 students, some of them standing, heard a sermon by Robert Elliott Speer, who was secretary of the American Presbyterian Mission and an authority on world missions. Upon a graduation from Yale, Borden turned down some high-paying job offers, including disappointing his own father. It was during this time that he was said to have written in his Bible the date with these words, no retreats. You see, when a Christian puts his hand to the plow of service, he should never turn back. Though offered every worldly inducement, Borden wasn't interested. Singleness of purpose is at the heart of the Christian walk. Paul speaks of singleness of purpose in learning a greater a knowledge far greater than anything we can learn in a traditional educational setting. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and first and second. If my Bible would actually let me get there. Here we go. Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read starting in verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. That was Paul's singleness of purpose. Knowing Christ, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable 
unto his death. Here, Paul says, I gave up everything just that I might know Christ and be found in him. It's a powerful concept, but it wasn't just Paul's desire for himself. It was his desire for the church in Ephesus. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Just turn back a couple of pages. Ephesians chapter 3. I love this passage. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I am on my knees beseeching God for you. What was he asking for? What was he praying for? That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ." which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. This was Paul's singleness of purpose, was to know Jesus. That was his mission in life. And that's what he wanted for the church in Ephesus. Then the love of God compelled him to share the good news with others. But Paul's first focus was there on knowing God. This relationship with God was the foundation of all his other success. And Bill Borden had discovered this secret of success. This singleness of purpose in pursuing God and following his will with no retreats. Let's read from the chapter on faith and prayer from the book Education. Many, even in their seasons of devotion, fail of receiving the blessing of real communion with God. They are in too great haste. They're just too busy, too much of a hurry. With hurried steps, they press through the circle of Christ's loving presence, pausing perhaps a moment within the sacred precincts, but not waiting for counsel. They have no time to remain with the divine teacher. With their burdens, they return to their work. These workers can never attain the highest success until they learn the secret of strength. What's the secret of strength? They must give themselves time to think, to pray, to wait upon God for a renewal of physical, mental, and spiritual power. They need the uplifting influence of his spirit. Receiving this, they will be quickened by fresh life. The wearied frame and tired brain will be refreshed. The burdened heart will be lightened. Not a pause for a moment in his presence, but personal contact with Christ to sit down in companionship with him. This is our need. Happy will it be for the children of our homes and the students of our schools when parents and teachers shall learn in their own lives the precious experience pictured in these words from the Song of Songs. So is my as the apple trees among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. It's never too young to learn what it's like to experience companionship with God. Let no man 
despise thy youth, but be thou an example in word, in conversation, in charity, in deed, in truth, in purity. This was Bill's experience. He was only seven when his mom introduced him to Christianity. But it was at the age of seven that he started spending time with God every day in Bible study and prayer. And this was his secret of success. And that's just because we're young doesn't mean we can't know God for ourselves. All we have to do is commit the time to seeking him. And then the scripture reading, the promise that was in the scripture reading, that Ismail read for us, will come true in our lives. Jeremiah chapter 29. This is one of my favorite verses. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 13 and 14. And find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And ye shall seek me, and ye find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. When we search for God with all our heart, the promise is we will find him. And then he who is constrained by the love of Christ goes forth among his fellow men to help the helpless and encourage the desponding, to point sinners to God's ideal for his children, and to lead them to him who alone can enable them to reach this ideal. High places. Page 234. And we see this in Bill's life, and Paul's life, and Peter's life, and Mary's life, and the life of every Christian missionary. It's the result of every life that's been touched by the love of Christ. You have to share it. Live with no retreats, a singleness of purpose to follow God, and spend time communing with him. William Borden, after he graduated from Yale, went on to study at Princeton Theological Seminary in New Jersey. As soon as he finished his studies at Princeton, he sailed for China, planning to work with the Ugyar Muslims of northwestern China. They're a people group that are Muslim and speak Arabic in China. And they're pretty much quite distinct and separated from most of the rest of the Chinese nationals. They're kind of, they're, they're like a mix between like Chinese, Tibetan, Turkish. What are they called? Ugyar. Mm-hmm. U-Y-G-H-U-R. That's the, that's the most common English spelling 
of their, their name. They have their own Ukiar dialect. Um, they're, they're a very unique and almost completely unreached people group of about, I, I think it's greater than 30 million in northwestern China. He decided to study Islam and Arabic in Cairo, Egypt. So he stayed with a Syrian family in order to learn as much Arabic as possible. When he wasn't trying to learn, he'd distribute Christian sermons written in a Quranic style in the streets. In the March of 1913, while he was in Cairo, William Borden contracted spinal meningitis. Within a month, 25-year-old William Borden was dead. In the weeks before he passed away, his mother said he penned these words in his Bible. No regrets. Unexpected twists and turns. He died way too young. He was only 25. But he died with no regrets. What if life doesn't seem to work out right? I mean, if you commit your life to God with no reserves, there's no limits, right? But it would appear that William Borden hit limits. I sometimes see obstacles in my path, and I'm like, this doesn't feel like I'm living life without limits. But you see... Sometimes, God's plan is a little bit bigger than our minds can see. There was a young man who was given a great commission. His mission was to deliver an entire nation of slaves. He was to be the Sojourner Truth, Harriet Tubman, Mahatma Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, and the antitypical savior of his people, Israel. Moses was born and raised with a knowledge that he was going to do something special. Turn to Exodus with me. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 2. The story is probably pretty familiar. Starting in verse 11. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren... Excuse me. And looked on their burdens, and he spied on an Egyptian smiting in Hebrew one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together, and he said to him that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill us as thou killedst the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And he kept watering their flock for the next 40 years. Moses was content to dwell with that man. And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, 
And the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and looked on the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. So here, Moses is herding sheep. He thought, you know, with his training as a military general, with the highest education in the land of Egypt, the best provisions, the wealth of the Pharaoh at his disposal, that surely he'd be able to work some great deed to deliver the people of Israel. Like, that was his mission. That was his goal. That's what he was, he was intended to do, correct? He was dedicated to that mission. But then, bam, he hits a wall. You see, Moses' plan had gone completely awry. But Moses' plan wasn't God's plan. And Moses didn't yet have the tools he needed for success. He didn't yet have the character attributes that he needed in order to successfully lead God's people out of Egypt and to trust and rely on God. You see, he trusted in himself a little bit too much. And so... God needed to teach him a few lessons. And so he spent 40 years in the wilderness. He, God was actually working for Moses. Romans 8.32 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Everything was, without Moses knowing it, at his disposal. And Christ was working on him, working on his character. The plan of redemption contemplates our complete recovery from the power of Satan. Christ always separates the contrite soul from sin. You see, God's ideal is, for his children is higher than the highest human thought can reach. And God never leads his children otherwise than they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose which they are fulfilling as co-workers with him. Not Enoch, who was translated to heaven, not Elijah, who ascended in a chariot of fire, was greater or more honored than John the Baptist, who perished alone in the dungeon. Unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Sometimes the most Dire, dark circumstances are the ones that God is using for our own good and for our salvation, teaching us to trust him when we do not see a path forward. This was true in Moses' story. It's true of each of our stories. We can commit our lives to God with no reserves, live a life without limits, but still hit seeming limits, 
seeming obstacles. But if we just trust God, when we get to the other end of that obstacle, we can know, we can have no regrets. A life that you wouldn't choose to lead any other way because you know God was beside you. This takes faith, but trusting God is worth it. It's the only way to have no regrets. Even when sin messes up otherwise perfect plans, let God handle the mess, because we still don't know the end of the story. I mean, Moses, he, he still didn't do everything right. He, God was able to use him to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt in a marvelous, powerful way. But he didn't even make it to Canaan. Instead, he died on top of a mountain just shy of Canaan. He didn't actually get to go in because he messed up. He messed it up. But he didn't even know the end of his story. We find in Jude that God, Michael, is arguing over the body of Moses with the devil. It's quite likely Moses because it's Moses who comes back with Elijah to encourage Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's Moses and Elijah that come at the mount, to the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses didn't even know the end of his story or how God would continue to use him. He had no idea how. In his will, William Borden gave away the entirety of his inheritance to mission work. The majority of his contributions went to China Inland Mission, after which Borden Memorial Hospital was named in Lanshu, China. When the news of William Whiting Borden's death was cabled back to the U.S., the story was carried by nearly every American newspaper. A wave of sorrow went round the world. Borden not only gave away his wealth, but himself, in a way so joyous and natural that it seemed a privilege rather than a sacrifice, wrote Mary Taylor in her introduction to his biography. Borden's full epitaph reads, A man in Christ... He arose and forsook all and followed him, kindly affectioned with brotherly love, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, instant in prayer, communicating to the necessity of saints, in honor preferring others. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. What will your epitaph read? Lord willing, you, Pathfinders, won't have an epitaph. The Lord may come long before your time is up. Would your legacy be no reserves, no retreats, no regrets, though? Will you leave behind a path of blessing that shows you wasted none of your time here on earth? Will you choose today that you will commit your life to serving the Lord with no reserves, no retreats, and no regrets, then please stand with me as we pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for the encouraging story of William Borden. Lord, I pray that you would please grant us your spirit. Teach us how to seek you first, last, and best in everything in life. To truly spend time communing with you every morning, not rushed, not hurried, just basking in your presence and submitting our plans to you. Lord, help us to live for you with no reserve, no retreats, so that we can then say one day that we have no regrets. If we pray this in Jesus' name, and thank you. Amen.